0: Welcome to Brain Noodles, this is a Geeks Like Us podcast where me and some of my friends and colleagues sit around and talk about the different things that our brains have been noodling on. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Connell. I'm a psychologist out of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm also a dungeon master and a consultant and lots of other things. And say, let's go to Dr. Rachel next.
1: Hi, I am Dr. Rachel Covert. I am a research psychologist, and I work as the research director of Take This, which is a mental health nonprofit that works within the gaming industry and gaming
2: communities.
0: And let's we'll jump down to Sarah. Dr. Sarah.
2: Hello. I am Dr. Sarah Sawyer. I am the content manager for Take This. I also work as a um, as a practitioner in private practice in Seattle, Washington. Uh,
3: and Dr. Kelly everybody, I am Dr. Kelly. I am a clinical psychologist practicing in Maryland. I also teach game design at American University, and I'm also the uh, program manager for Take This.
1: I think that's it.
0: We all do stuff. Lots of, there's, there's lots of many so things. stuff, lots of
1: stuff. So many things. So many hats. So many all,
0: all of the things that are going on. Yeah. So uh, as we check in with things, Rachel, you had like news yesterday. Yes. was, was, were we happy or were we just,
1: Oh, we had news. <laughs> okay. So uh, pragmatic princess was up for some book awards. I did not win, Aww. but it's okay. It's okay. I can't win them all. Um, but mm-hmm. it was really exciting to see like all the new books that are coming out and some books won several awards. So I'm going to have to order all those books. Uh, for my children but i'm talking about the caldecott and the newberry literature awards those were announced yesterday that's good
0: it's also that you're nominated and pragmatic prince is going for its second printing
1: it is going for its second printing and it is um, in the running for other awards later in the year so fingers crossed
0: excellent is there any way for our listeners to help with those awards and like help boost you up (laughs)
1: <laughs> um there's no way to help with the awards unless they're on the committee um but if they are interested in checking it out the book is available for purchase on amazon.com and amazon.ca for my canadian neighbors
0: excellent yes you're you're the our uh, international component of the brain noodles cast <laughs>
1: that is true i am the northernmost component as well yes
0: <laughs> what else has everyone been up to
1: Uh,
3: I've been playing lots of video games, which I'm sure is absolutely shocking. Uh, Part of it is because of the course I'm teaching and having my students um, play games as homework. So in addition to like their readings, they're playing games. And of course then I need to go and play those games again. And then we're also having a playthrough in class of a game. And so I'm having to go through and play that. So last week that was Shivering Isles. This week um, they're playing Depression Quest and I am bringing in Night in the Woods, and so it's a very different experience because I'm like trying to speed run Night in the Woods to figure out which section (laughs) and which part of the branching narrative I want to bring into the classroom. Um, So it's not (laughs) like relaxing gaming, it's like really um, intense and demanding mandatory gaming which is a different experience, but I am getting to play more, which is great. And then I've got my husband hooked on Full Metal Furies, which is a fantastic couch co-op, up to four people. Um, and I've been convincing him that, yes, there's an hour between when the baby goes to sleep and we pass out. We can use that to do games games. That's exciting.
0: <laughs> How about you, Sarah? What have you been up to?
2: I have been... Um, Working on getting ready to write a study with uh, Dr. Emery Daniel, one of our colleagues, about the game Persona 5. So as we previously had discussed on the last podcast, I've been playing and watching a lot of Persona 5. Um, I've been playing a lot of Pokemon. I think this is the era of client homework because a lot of these things are things I'm doing to interact with clients. I've been watching a lot of weird Netflix shows like You or... Um, I've been powering through Schitt's Creek, and then I've been playing games that are pertinent to either research or client work. So it's been a lot of not me gaming, a lot of me therapist gaming, or me researcher gaming. So I'm going to try to squeeze in some fun stuff in there.
0: I've been playing, uh, personally, the Harry Potter Wizard's Quest as like my game to help get me to get outside and walk and move and interact with the outdoors. Um, since it does gamify uh, and give me, uh, in, you know, that little bit of motivation to go and just go for a little quick, you know, one k walk or something. So it's been helpful. Game even when you know that you're just gamifying something to make you do a task you don't necessarily want to do, it still works.
1: Totally still works. That's why people still do it. <laughs> I was gonna say we have PAX east coming up. Ooh, that's right. We've been having- several conversations, Dr. Sarah and I, about PAX East and preparing to travel to Boston at the worst possible time in the year to travel to Boston, so that'll
2: be Yeah, fun. <laughs> after I'm going to be flying, my family's taking the ver- very rare vacation, and so I'm going to California for 10 days, and then I'll be back for three, and then I'll be flying to Boston, so guaranteed sick, <laughs> Stay not excited. Oh, I'm going to be wearing masks. My dad's immunocompromised, so I have to be very vigilant. So I will not be coming into PAX sick. I will be leaving PAX sick. I guarantee it. PAX, PAX, go away. So you're not going to be patient zero? No. Although patient zero is here in Kirkland, Washington. <laughs> so that's fun as far as the United States goes. Ooh. You guys, I know that people get worried and anxious, but to add some levity, which is common to our field, I have a punny joke. Yeah, what goes well with the coronavirus? Lime, Lyme disease. Ha! <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Actually, oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that has I tickled my success.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. All right, so we have lots of working games going on, books, things, working th- research, and all of that stuff. Any other exciting news or headlines that have been catching your eyes and interesting stuff to chat about?
3: I got mad at a research paper, which I guess is not news. <laughs> That's pretty, <laughs> That's it's pretty news. normal. Uh, there was a, a paper that recently came out that was looking at um, different cognitive components to people with internet gaming disorder, which is always the red flag because they're saying that people have this when in fact you can't diagnose someone with it because it's a uh, disorder for future study and not diagnosable, but we don't get details, you know. And my my takeaway was um, they basically said that people who had difficulty regulating their impulse control had difficulty regulating their impulse control. Um, yeah, they wrote a lot of paper pages to say that.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where like those who have a hard time with delayed gratification or yeah you know, with impulse control stuff, it it's not just something like gaming or the internet that can be a problem like it's smoking you're dueling giving drugs you know gambling sex yeah like all of that when that's you have a hard time saying no like that's
3: the stuff that you're going to get preyed upon yes games do not make you have a hard time saying no however if you have a hard time saying no you may have a hard time saying no to games but yeah on and a happier note, I am wearing portal earrings. So I figure I'll just balance that out with the, so a little there.
1: Very nice. Oh, nice.
3: nice.
1: I uh, reviewed a paper this week uh, for, as part of my service to the profession. And it was also about inter- uh, gaming disorder, internet gaming disorder. And their measure for internet gaming disorder, despite the fact that several measures exist, was one for binge watching, um, shows and they just changed the word with games and i was like wait, I, no. what <laughs> there exist measures already i mean there was many flaws in the study but that was one of the big red flags it's always it's always interesting to see what is what is attempting to be published out there in the world
2: i have a question though mm-hmm. was the article so i know that like we're pointing out a funny thing that has to happen in research that people don't realize outside of the academic community, which is where sometimes we do, like, have to do what feels like the dumb thing and prove that yes, there is still a trend that people who struggle with impulse control struggle with impulse control. Not to say that that article that Kelly, like, so I had seen that article that Kelly is discussing in in an early release notification in the APA as part of what I have to do to track, you know, we have this obligation per our licensure as clinicians to keep track on what's happening in the field. And so I got the alert in that email. As usual, when I see those titles, I drop it into our um, colleague group Discord, and then from there, the discussion followed. Now, in that article, there were a lot of concerns, <clears throat> not simply what Kelly is so succinctly describing, but I mean, yes, there. sometimes we have to prove the thing is in fact the thing that you're looking at. But also, like sometimes when it comes to creating new measures, Um, and this is more for the listeners because I know all three of you know this, but, like, we have to prove that, like, the test that you're using is, in fact, a good test. Was the article trying to show that, like, if we switch the words in this survey, it is still a good measure? No, so... Or was it trying to just, like this is what we're using, cool, okay, moving on. It was,
1: this is what we're using, cool, let's move on, which to me struck oh. me as really strange since there are measures that do exist that have been designed specifically to assess games. Whether or not they're yes. good is a different story. Um, and also because it was adapted from a, like a, a media-watching survey, which is a highly, like a passive activity, it just didn't even seem like a very good fit to <laughs> even draw from. But also, yes, sometimes you need the paper to prove the thing that we already know. I totally agree. Well, and those are sometimes. And
0: funny, I think one of the things happen. we're running into is like this system problem where people who aren't within the community are trying to do research on it, which isn't always a problem, but like it's if you don't understand something. Like um, I remember several years ago seeing a poster presentation um, from a graduate student and they were measuring something about. I think it was like violence and gaming or so, you know, something like that. And they said, Well, okay, gamers versus non-gamers. And the first question I had is like, So, how did you operationally define a gamer? And I was like, well, somebody who plays games. It's like, so how long? And like, they could play, you know, an hour a week is enough. Like, like someone who plays games an hour a week versus like 10, 15 plus a week is very, very different. It's also, are you a casual gamer on mobile devices? And it was, the study ended up being really bad just because they hadn't defined their population very well. And that's the fault of the, not the fault of the researcher, like it's the advisor at that point, not understanding how to define
3: the culture. I mean, one of the reasons that after doctor school, I went and got another master's degree is because the number one thing that was making me rage while I was studying clinical psychology and video games was the studies. They were so bad. They were comparing first person to third person shooters like apples to apples. i like, that's not correct. Or trying to do violence research by comparing a shooter to like an M rated game to a T rated game. But the M rated game was a shooter and the T rated game was a racing car game. Like it just incredibly, if you had any clue about what you were actually trying to study, you would never have done that. And so that's why I went and literally got a degree in game design because the biggest argument against that the like decade of video game and violence research that was in like, you know, the early 2000, the 2000, 2010 era was that they they had no idea what they were studying and they were just making things up and slapping the word game in for other disorders that already had. And there was no attempt to understand. There was no attempt to like get at even play a game, just it 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 blew my mind. And so just like understanding from a design perspective of why something is the way it is in a game to get a specific effect, it gives you so much more insight into these studies. And you're like, you you didn't even have them play a game. You know, a lot of times it was just oh they had a task where they had to pick A or B. Like that's no, you can't. So I get a little I get in my feels about this. But yeah, it's, it's it's just this idea that you can just Substitute X in for Y, and it's going to be totally fine. Whether it's the measure, you know, using binge watching instead of a gaming scale, or that you know, if you play one hour, it's the same thing as playing five hours, and or five hours on a mobile game is you know not is worse than you know one hour on a console game because that's a shooter. Like it just it's so nuanced, and there's so many shades of gray. And I just the research last decade. Oh God, it is less naked. Oh my goodness. Um yeah. You know, it just it just didn't get there. It's getting better, but it it I feel like I want to slam my head against a wall because I've been seeing the same mistakes for like over 10 years. And I want kind of want to cry. Well, and uh with doing
0: research for like the trainings that um Dr. B and I do on tabletop gaming, it's we're running into similar frustrations. So like um a book was released um was it? Uh, role-playing game studies and in it one of the comparative they were saying okay so we can basically say that tabletop gamers are the same as people who play world of warcraft so we're going to use all this data we have on people who play world of warcraft to apply it to tabletop gamers and it's like
1: nope that's mm-hmm.
0: different very very different
2: i don't like it
1: I, I think this brings up also a really good point for people who aren't necessarily in the research field and that is why it's so important to have good research and why you can't take headlines at face value. So like when you see the headlines about like violent video games cause violence, they don't, they don't. Um, If you dig into the research, you would see why, because they're not comparing things properly or because the measures are, don't have any validity in the real world and X, Y, and Z. Um, But yeah, I have hope that it's getting better. Hopefully the game studies research. Yeah.
2: There's certainly more research being done, which is a good thing. I think also that like it is an arena that was never even a thing. I mean lies. So ludology was a thing, which is the study of games. Um, But then until like basically the early ludologists, which was who were doing research when like research was forming as a, as a concept, um, gamed games weren't a thing as far as video games until what like 70s ish mm-hmm. and then your The inter- floor was 1958 okay but like accessible gaming in home and then the explosion of gaming as like a like pong basically ish arcades pong yeah. etc so like yeah, the '70s, '80s. Yeah. So then, if we look at like how games research has happened, this is certainly not intended as a humble brag by any means. But like the fact that Rachel published the first book ever about positive impact of gaming says something that that came out this year, last year, last year, this last month. year, came out this month, this month, <laughs> this month, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like that, that's a big thing that this is very fresh and new and we're all, we're all research babies. And then we have to think about like, what's, what does good research mean? And it includes an element of competency about the content that there's just, generationally, one generation down the line, we're going to be fine. But until we get there, it's going to be rough (laughs) goes.
0: Very, very much so yeah it is interesting like in the role-playing game studies book there was one chapter i was reading and i i was actually like i'm like this person had made some really good points they have some awesome stuff and then um each one of the chapters had a section of recommended readings of stuff that you could read further on and it had um drive-through rpg as the only thing listed which, for those who don't know, Drive RPG is an online store where people self-publish um, different uh, modules and character-building concepts and things. It's essentially saying, for further reading, say, see Amazon.com. So, I took all my notes on that chapter and went, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, know your audience. Know what you're talking about. And if you don't know, that's okay. There are people, like... My colleagues on this podcast that you can ask, and that is true. We are so desperate to see good research happen. I'm sure we will be very glad to consult and
3: help. <laughs> yes, we drink and we know <laughs> things. True. And by drink, it's probably coffee or just like yeah, something caffeine.
2: caffeinated. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've been on a highball kick for a good year now,
1: and I'm not going back. I have a new Starbucks drink. Oh, that is a you a tell. tall, non-fat chai with a blonde shot. Ooh, very good.
2: A blonde recommend. shot. So dirty chai know. but blonde. I dig yes, it. Yes, it. it's like sweeter it.
1: and less bitter. It's excellent. I highly recommend.
0: I like their salted caramel cold press. Ooh. That sounds it, delicious. It's
1: amazing. That sounds pretty good. The cold press is is uh Usually too bitter for me, but maybe the salted caramel. The
0: salted caramel makes it just—it's a lovely bitter yeah. and sweet and salty. Yeah, it's, that sounds wonderful.
3: You know, I think I think this is the foundation for a new study about the, uh, the causation between people being obsessed with their planners and having incredibly specific Starbucks <laughs> requests. Because as of like, you know, the start of January, I just started my planner, and I found the very first coffee oh. I can tolerate. What at is Starbucks. it? It is a peppermint. Mocha. Oh, yum! Yes. Yeah. It's peppermint kills the flavor of everything so I can tolerate it. But yeah, I'm just, I'm like, I'm having flashbacks to our <laughs> episode of like, hmm, I was outside this cult and now I am sneaking There's so obviously in the terms of good research, one must inform the other because we know that correlation. Completely. correlation.
2: Of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are being sarcastic. You know, it really
0: doesn't
1: <laughs> no, no. quote me. No. Yes. Don't let that be the takeaway. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Please, (laughs) no. Well, on that note, let's all get some coffee, and then we'll come back and have our main topic.
2: Do you like Dungeons & Dragons streams? Who doesn't? Come check out
0: Geeks Like Us Clinical Roll, Mondays from 9 to 12 EST. Whereas his Dr. Megan. Cannell takes her psychologist friends through the Underdark into pirates? Ah, I want to be a pirate. Get my sword. Anyway... Clinical Roll, Mondays, 9 to Midnight, on the Geeks Like Us Twitch channel. <laughs> and welcome back. So today we're going to be talking about, I think, a really interesting topic. Um, and actually, Kelly, I think you were the one that first suggest this one of like, how do we define
3: success and what being successful is? So yeah, success. Like, what what is it good for? You know, absolutely, like, everything. Um... And the idea of like small successes. Um, I know in my therapeutic practice, I try to think about, you know, look at, look at all the small things you did today that were successful, all the little tiny wins. And so success doesn't have to be like this big epic win, although it is really, um, really great when it is. And so that like the scale of it and then like what it means for yourself versus someone else. Um, I don't know about you three. I certainly could not define success for myself. I have, thought about it and I'm like, I, I just don't have the words for it. I know what it looks like for other people, but I can't seem to formulate that concept for, for myself. So I'm going to lay back on the couch now as, as you guys, uh, let me know. Well, I I think one of the things I heard, um, mm, I
0: think this was in one of John Acuff's books. Um, he talked about don't compare your start to someone else's finish. Um,
3: I've heard yeah, another one that was don't compare your blooper reel to someone. Oh, that's great reel. too.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's thinking about like, it, the people that we see doing the stuff we want to do are incredibly competent and have been doing it for a long time and have most of their screw ups behind them. And so it's very easy for us to be in that comparative group. where We're like, Oh my gosh, I'm, not like so-and-so, they seem to have all of this figured out. They have it all together and we're failing to recognize that we're at the starting line and they're close to the finish line.
2: I think that it's also hard when you are comparing your success to the success of others, because in, in isolation, success doesn't seem that much because we are our own worst critic and we're like, well, but I didn't do all of the things on my to-do list today. So I am not successful versus like, if I write down every single thing I did in the day, I'd probably be like, oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm." But comparatively, even in our group of colleagues, it's really hard to be like, oh, I did this such a cool thing. I did this really cool thing. Because everybody else is doing really innovative, really amazing things. And it's like, I didn't publish eight articles and write two books and do like, eight new whatever in in a, in a month.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. First of all, no. Um, I remember talking to Dr. B, who's the clinical director of Take This, uh, earlier in the year, late last year, and I was like, I'm not productive at all. And he was like, that's disgusting that you say that. <laughs> but it's because we're surrounded by such highly achieving people. Uh, And it's really hard not to compare yourself. And I'm obviously happy for everybody's success and everybody's productivity, but then it's like, oh, well, I didn't do that. And oh, well, maybe I should also be doing that. And it's, you know, maybe writing down a list of the things that we do achieve um, would be a good mind exercise. Just like yesterday, the awards for the children's books were announced and I didn't win. And I told my husband, I actually said, "Oh, this is Rachel's therapy session. I said, I feel that everything I do is mediocre. It's just not quite good enough. And he was like, well, maybe take a step back. You had a successful Kickstarter. You published a book. The book is beautiful. People seem to like it. It's like, okay, I guess there are some successes in there. Like don't let one failure discredit like all the other successes that came before it.
0: Well, and it's the thing, though, we're also fighting our biology. You know, our brain is designed specifically to focus on bad stuff, because as I remind my clients all the time, bad stuff is what kills us. And so it is biologically very, very important for our brain to pay attention to bad things, because good stuff doesn't really harm us. So we can just, you know, habituate to that and ignore it. And so it really takes intentional effort to focus on the good things. And to focus on those growth points and to practice gratitude, and it's hard.
1: Takes effort. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it it is so hard. Um, You know, obviously, I've, I've been through you know career wise a lot in the last couple of months, and dating even further back when stuff started to go south, and I just kind of like ignored it. And then there was a like a period of like about two weeks after I got over my illness where I was like, yes, I'm feeling awesome. I'm feeling great. Like, I've got a new job. Class is going great. I'm teaching the psychology of video games. The little guy is happy and doing wonderfully. Like, yes, finally, it feels, you know, my grandpa got out of the hospital. Like, yes, everything is turning around. And then one thing, a text message <laughs> over dinner <laughs> from someone. And all of a sudden it was like, everything is awful. Everything sucks. Why can't I ever do it right? Why Why can't just once? Why can't for just once it be easy? Why can't I have this feeling of like success and pride and not have someone come and like curb stomp it? Um, which, of course, is I mean, it's a text. It is not like they did not curb stomp a puppy. Um, so, that, that like the last couple of days I've been feeling that has been tough because so I'm like, no, I have this happy feeling and damn it, I'm going to keep it. It's been a long time and I'm going to hold on to it. And like the, the the active struggle of fighting off that that negative soundtrack um, going on in your head, and it just it's like I I know I know what's going on. I even have the skills to tell other people how to do it. But then like turning that that same kind of idea on yourself is so so hard. Yes, Rachel, didn't you have a tweet this morning about someone's soundtrack in their brains? Like you had a poll.
1: Oh, right. Yes,
3: that's. I didn't
1: understand it. Otherwise I would have responded, but I, I feel like that's connected here. Um, It's not really, <laughs> it's not really. We can, well, but when, we can definitely talk about that when we get into the, what are we noodling on? Because thank you for bringing that up. It was super interesting. <laughs> that tweet.
3: I'm going to chalk that up as another. Okay. Fail okay. We're going to talk today. about
1: that though. We'll talk about that. Later. <laughs> um, but you know, when talking about though, I feel like we're talking about big grand scheme kind of pictures, like, Overall success is, you know, publishing a book, or overall success is winning the award. I mean, honestly, my day-to-day success is crossing anything off my to-do list. Like, I do have like that little ping of success when I like cross anything out of my planner, which is which is nice. Keeps you going through the day. Mm -hmm. Little victory. That is definitely definitely a benefit of having a planner for the first time ever. Is
3: that I have all these things on there, and every night I go through it and I cross them off, and I'm like, wow. I did a lot today. Go me. I'm going to treat myself to some cookies and video games because I'm a grown up. (laughs) Oh, I tend to
0: write the list out of things that I'm doing when I am so tired. I'm like, why am I so tired? And then I start listing everything out. That's why.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would say also being a person who deals with ADHD I, A, crossing the list off at the end of the day is not satisfactory, Kelly. That would be like, that would be a nothing exercise. I would be like, yeah, I didn't do this already. This is a failure that I didn't keep up with my list over the day. I crossed it off at the end. There's, there's so much rigidity around like keeping the list going. I I had missed a week in my planner and I, the, it, I'm using the good busy planner. And so at the top of the day, you can say like mindset. And my mindset repeatedly has been self-forgiveness because it's like I'm judging myself when I open my planner that I haven't got everything filled out all the time. So there's this, like, rigidity of, like, not just doing the thing but a completionist attitude of doing the thing. And when I don't, then it's, like, burn it. (laughs) It's happening.
0: I'm curious for all of you, too. This this is something, like – recently realizing like I am successful at some things and like sitting back and like that thing of like I, I don't know it's almost like you feel like it's supposed to feel different and it's like but I still feel like me
3: <laughs> yeah yeah I am um, a little tangent one of the most important things I think that ever happened to me in being able to think about success in career um is that I've had the opportunity a couple times to like meet people that I really really look up to um, and every single time they have disappointed. Um, and so there's a, there's, like, there's always that saying of, yeah, you know, don't meet your idols because they'll never really let you down. Not because they're bad people, but just because they are people. And I've definitely found that to be super helpful when I'm thinking about trying to tackle my own path. Um, you know, the people that I've looked up to and I, well, one, I've stopped doing it. Like there's people I definitely admire, but there's nobody who's on like, oh my God, you know, fangirl over anymore because of that. Um, And I've found that really helpful to like in terms of self-forgiveness, in terms of like recognizing my own successes, um, and then also realizing that most people don't know what they're doing anyway. And if somebody seems like they know what they're doing, they're probably just faking it. And if they say they know what they're doing, they definitely don't. I mean, unless it's like a, you know, a surgeon, he probably knows what he's doing. But, um, you know, like when we go to conventions, we're talking about Pax East after the panels, you know, oftentimes people will come up and ask like, well, how do you? how do you do that? How do you study games and be a psychologist? And I'm like, ah, mm, I went to school, uh, I read a bunch of stuff, I did a study, like no, everybody told me I shouldn't do it, but I didn't listen to them and I did it anyway. And like, there's no easy way forward. There's not like, oh, if I can just get this thing, then I then I will be successful. Then I will be whatever it is that I think that I want. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm realizing I don't do that for myself. So. Mm-hmm. Therapy was good today. <laughs> Thank you. Ladies. So a good takeaway from this
0: is psychologists struggle with all of this stuff too.
2: <laughs> we yes. are also human. I feel like when I was in school, I saw my supervisors and my um, dissertation chair and everybody doing like eight different jobs. And I was like, How are you doing that? But that's I mean, there's it's hard to not do that when you get into the field and like, okay, therapy is your income, maybe, but then Also, we're all kind of in this communal space of starting the new thing and doing research about the new thing because nobody else has done it. And if they're doing it, maybe they're not doing it the way that we would hope they would do it scientifically or et cetera, et cetera. No one's ever wrote wrote a book about that, but I know about that, so let's talk about that. Like That's how that evolves. And I think that there's also this generational pressure, um, particularly from like the silent generation and the boomer generation Upon like Generation X and Millennials and down to like jump through enough hoops, and then you'll be an adult and be able to do all of the adult things and feel like an adult and be successful. But the hoops never stop. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, it's underwhelming. Like, now what?
0: Well, and like, this has been my biggest shock of adulthood. There's no such thing as grown ups.
2: Don't tell my son that. He'll never go to bed. And they don't know <laughs> as much as you think they do. No. They're more afraid than you are probably. <laughs> like, it- I remember
0: this when I was like holding my daughter for the first time and going, I don't really know what I'm doing. And realizing my mom was probably a little younger than me when she had me in that realization of like, oh, she didn't know what she was
3: doing either. hmm No, that's my, that's like my parental litmus test of I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, My goal is for my son to need less therapy than I do. And if I just stick with that goal, then I am bound to do good. And so far, I think I'm on the right track because the other day we were walking into his gymnastics class and he was holding my hand and my husband's hand and yelling at the top of his lungs, I love mommy and daddy. I'll keep you. I won't feed you to the wolves.
2: (laughs) Not yet anyway. (laughs) wait till he's Not 14
0: <laughs> yeah it's just i don't know it's weird to think it'd be at a place where you're successful and like people that i admired greatly are now friends and oh my god that's the weirdest thing ever mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> thing ever. I, I, I actually like this is gonna sound like bragging and it's more like humility i don't know
3: anyway Brag. There's nothing wrong with bragging. Well, right the, away. I, I was
0: watch, sitting down to watch um, Lost Odyssey um, with my husband, which we didn't get through because we have kids and they have to interrupt everything we do. But um, for those who don't know, it was uh, produced by Geek & Sundry. It was a live D&D game played in a theater that benefited um, Autism Speaks. And it was um, hosted by Geek and & Sundry, and then they had a lot of celebrity players on there. I only didn't know, personally know two people on the stage. I have done panels, played D and D talked with and hung out with everybody else on that stage. And it was just a weird, weird moment of being like, whoa, oh, wait, that's, that's part of the world I'm in now. And just sitting with that and thinking about it and be like, okay, wow, this, I guess I'm there. I'm where I'm at a successful place, which again, seems it doesn't feel like it. I guess like, that's the sort of thing is like, success doesn't, Feel the way you think it's gonna feel like I guess like you feel like it's supposed to be this big like ha ha I've arrived and it's just sort of like oh huh how'd I get here? Q
2: imposter syndrome. Super fun. Yes. <laughs>
3: and there's a a quote I'm trying to remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's like you know where you are now. Think about where you are now and yeah. or where you are now is where you wanted to be in five years or or something like that. The the idea of like yeah right now you're you're still pushing you're trying to be successful, you're still going forward. you're trying new things, but like take a second and think about where you were five years ago. like for me, five years ago, I didn't have my license. I was here five years ago, I was just brand spanking out of my doctoral program and had just gotten into the game design program like and if I had told myself five years ago what I was doing, like, oh, yeah, you know, I know Rachel and Megan and Zara. Yeah, you know, I know these people, and we go to panels and we talk, and like, you're going to write a book chapter and you're going to be published in articles and you're going to get interviewed by Apple and like be quoted in the New York Times. Like, no, little Kelly would have been like, <laughs> whatever. And um, I think it's sometimes hard to lose sight of that exactly because. And maybe this is mostly for women, but I feel like we're so conditioned to not talk about our successes. Like, you know, Megan said she didn't want to brag. And I went on that thing about like, I've been in the New York Times and I've done this and that. And I'm like, ooh, that's kind of cringy and bragging. But no, damn it, I did those things. And those are really impressive things. And I'm really proud of them. So I'm going to, I'm going to say it proudly and not apologize. Yeah.
2: Every single time any of us has discussed a thing, have you noticed all of us have specified it somehow? I did that too. I was like, this is certainly not meant as a brag, but it says something. Yeah. (laughs) We're
3: unabashedly awesome, right? We're fucking awesome. Yes. It's easier for me to accept that from you you than to to say it myself. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that's why there's four of us. That makes a real circle of, like, (laughs) support. And, of course, to our listeners, too, like, you are welcome into our circle because, as my son's balloon said at the New Year celebration, no one is you -er than you. (laughs) Very sexy. I like
2: that. Very sexy.
0: Well, I I think on that bit of balloon wisdom, we'll take a break and come back and talk (laughs) about what we've been noodling on. Hashtag balloon wisdom.
2: (laughs) I think we know what the doodle is going to be.
0: Yep, the doodle is balloon wisdom. (laughs) Curious about the psychological effects of time travel? Want to join in on Harry Potter trivia? While watching stupid people play games, that wasn't very nice, but I'm saying it anyway, come joy Thumpins on Thursday. And our Geeks Like Us Twitch stream from 9 to 11.30 EST at night. We'll have a good time. We want to hear what you have to say. Other
1: fun things. Megan's looking at me like I'm doing a decent job. Enjoy brain noodles.
0: All right, and we are back. So this is our closing segment where we're going to talk about what our brains have been noodling on. So.
1: Rachel, yeah, talk about the tweet. What is this? Let me talk about the tweet. I have to talk about the tweet because, okay, I came across a tweet this morning from at Kyle Plant Emoji. Don't know him, but came up on my feed. And it said, fun fact, some people have an internal narrative and some people don't. As in some people's thoughts are like sentences they hear and some people just have abstract nonverbal thoughts and have to consciously verbalize them. And most people aren't aware of the other type of person. And this blew my mind <laughs> because I obviously was not aware that nonverbal thoughts exist because my mind is just a running stream of words. And I put up a poll and there have been 38 votes on the poll so far. And 92% have the inner monologue and nonverbal thoughts are 8%. So it does seem to be, at least in this sample, well, less popular,
2: but does exist. Who knew? Fun tangential facts. Uh, when you discuss memories, I learned this when I had to work with people recollecting stories of crime. Uh, some memories are episodic, like, um, photographic in nature where, like, people see snapshots in a collection and that's how they remember their memories and other people remember them in a a cinematic fashion, like in a movie. Um, Other people even see it third-person cinematic kind of like um, a common therapeutic exercise I'll do if people are struggling in their own shoes is if you were sitting in a movie theater watching this story play out How would you describe it? Some people see it that way always so even the way we remember stuff varies on imagery Just like when black-and-white TV came in people started to dream in black-and-white
0: Yeah, I Rich, I am a picture thinker. That's part of, that's part of dyslexia. It, mm-hmm. What? Oh, my seeing goodness. seeing images and oh, that's it? part of the word scramble stuff that happens. It's not so much um, that you're – yeah, I, I just, everything is a picture. And that's why I have a very, very hard time with scientific reading and writing because there is no real good imagery that goes with it. Um, and so it's really a hard thing for me to write scientifically because I have no picture. I can write a hell of a narrative. I can do good storytelling because there are clear pictures. I can see the room that people are in. I can see the, the tables and the food on the tables and what the scar on the face of the barkeeper looks like. But, um, tell me to go write about this, the study. I, it's, I can't, (laughs) it is such a challenge for my brain.
3: I honestly don't know how I would answer that question, Rachel, because after after hearing both sides, I'm like, wait, but really, but I I do the, both of those. What, maybe I don't understand what's going on, because there's definitely like a running narrative that's like, and then Kelly thought about what she was going to say. I it <laughs> sounded stupid and stopped. But then, you know, Megan's talking about the, like, the visualization. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> doesn't everybody, <laughs> can't everybody just, like, see the thing in their brain's eye and, like. Like, oh, well, yeah, I can totally describe what's going on in that situation.
2: That's how I use my intuition is much more visual. Like, if I can imagine a situation happening, it feels much more real to me than if mm. I can't. Not that that's sensical, but that has, like, every time I listen to that, it's usually worked. So I, but, but then also, are your thoughts in third person, first person, second person? Like, are you talking to yourself as a second object? Like your brain is talking to you. Do you say I, me, like I'm such an idiot. You're such an idiot. Kelly's such an idiot. Which one is the choice? Cause you were just talking as if you were the narrator of Kelly's life.
3: Yeah. It's usually not narrator. I would say usually first person, usually first yeah, person, I would but say it takes person. all kinds. And I will tell you like having studied the human brain, like I think that is the number one dispeller of the possibility of intelligent design. Because there is nothing in our brain that is straightforward <laughs> or makes sense. So I'm just putting that out there. Like I had to learn how we see with our eyeballs, like literally the entire process of like taking in light and how it gets converted to chemicals. And like, it is back ass. I mean, like the, 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 the fact that the part that processes our eyeballs is in the back of our heads. Like what the hell? That's my rant about intelligent design. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you for coming to
0: my TED Talk. Well, that uh, Sarah, what are you noodling on?
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, right now in this very moment, uh, the greater powers that be did not think about user <laughs> design.
3: God
0: There's no
2: UX.
3: Care about UX.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I have been noodling a lot about paneling for East and what Pax East is going to be like, and that's been. I'm in this very deep debate space because I'm running a panel for Take This on um, female and non-binary experiences in gaming spaces. And last time, um, for those of you not hip to the Gamergate situation, I recommend a good thorough Google. Um, But one of the major players was Zoe Quinn, who I um, saw at the week, that I was running this panel at Pax West had tweeted about an abuser and it caused, um, in our microcosm of culture, um, quite a wave. And I wanted to be as supportive to my panelists as possible because sometimes um, people are incredibly supportive and sometimes people are not and have the opposite reaction in, in this community and globally um, in support of or against victims of abuse. In this particular situation in our gaming culture, it has been contentious to say the least, but the more we lean into diversity and discuss these topics, the the more we can do to work on it and make it better. So that's part of why I feel really, really passionate about doing this panel. But last time, due to the fact that Zoe Quinn had tweeted and the timing, I closed the panel um, from questions. I had them escorted in and out of the panel room. Um, I also, like, as a therapist, it's a lot to carry because there was not a dry eye on the stage, even mine. And like, how do you manage the dynamics of the questions to be asked? Because it is, hey, let's go talk about potentially even interpersonal trauma, but like your experience of oppression in a community that we all really care about. And so how do I cushion with East? Um, and that's what I'm noodling on. Like how do I protect my panelists and also keep the conversation open to engage? Because I know that overwhelmingly people wished for it to be recorded. People wished for it to be more open. People wished to be able to talk to them, but I didn't even allow for question and answers after the panel. Like my panelists and I stayed in the room and de- and, and um, we did a debrief for 10 minutes. And then people who stuck around were told very firmly that they had to follow certain rules if they were gonna to talk to the panelists afterwards. So, I mean, it was really structured, but there was also enhanced security at any given event that in- included diversity factors because of that Twitter situation. So, I don't know what I'm in for, and I'm trying to be a dutiful clinician and think about it.
3: Well, first, I'm so glad that you had the debrief. Um, <laughs> I was at an event where they had um, a couple people up on stage who were talking about their game related trauma histories. Um, And then when it ended, they're like, okay, now we're off to the next part of the program. Like there was no time for debrief. There was no time for processing. And I, of course, um, very, we'll say kindly, let them know that that was not okay afterwards. Because then I went up to each panelist and like checked in with them individually because they weren't being given any time. Thankfully, everybody was fine and it wasn't a big deal. But like that, that level of care, like that is like consummate professionalism. So like huge snaps to you for that. Um, in terms of, like, possibly a hack to help you. One thing I've done in the past is I've passed out, like, sticky notes or index cards and then have the people in the audience write their questions on them. And then I have the, um, while I toss, like, a, a, t- a question to the panelists, collect the cards and then basically do, like, a card sorting test. Like, okay, these ones are all related to, like, oppression, and this one's all related to PTSD, and these ones are all related to like security measures. And then I'm able to synthesize my own question based on like the buckets. So that way people's, like you're answering like 10 people's question with with one mm-hmm. in a way that you can control it better. Um, obviously like PAX is huge, that might not be possible, but that that's something that I've found to be pretty, um, pretty helpful.
2: I was thinking about using like, um, <clears throat> there's websites you can do, where they, you can just put like a, like a f- f- five-digit phone number to text and then it will dump it into like an active survey data where people typically display it on a mm-hmm. screen, but I could just keep it to me and then I could do that too. Um, but that's a good idea.
3: I mean, you could literally give people a link to a Google spreadsheet and have them put their question in the spreadsheet too. Like there's, there's lots of ways, but the fact that you're thinking about it means that whatever mm-hmm. you do is going to be perfect. Um, because- sure. Lofty. I mean, that's where we aim though, like we don't aim at the ground. Well, there's the truth
0: in that though, no. is if you're worried about the thing that's, you're gonna be okay with it usually.
1: I would yeah. like to point out though, this is the second time Sarah's doing the panel and the second time a panel I am on has been scheduled at the exact same time.
2: That, not happening that's not that. fun. It's a conspiracy. No, but you're on that panel, so it can't I, work that way.
1: I, it, it has worked that way, Sarah, we'll have to talk oh, about no.
2: No, but you're on, you're on that panel.
3: You're on my yes. panel. She's also on my panel, which is at the
2: same time. Yeah. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> We're going <call laughs> to talk about that. Um, We're going to talk about that.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. So I know I have so much. I, I don't know that they're listening, <laughs> but for the people who organize <laughs> Let us past, see
1: each other's panels, <laughs> please. No,
2: no. I want to say thank you for trying to put um, all this together. Cause I can't imagine coordinating like, Three hundred people's no, calendars. No, thank you. No, that's true. Yeah, that's, that's a a lot. lot. So I know yeah, we're almost so out of time, and I know Megan
3: has like a hard stop, but I, I wanted to yeah share sure, your noodling on um, oh, this week. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You're fine. You're perfect. I had a big noodle. Um <laughs>
2: Plus I'll,
3: I'll I'll talk about that off uh, offline. But so the thing that I've been noodling about, which is not nearly as serious as anyone else's, is, um, is I've been listening to Frozen Two my son has been requesting Frozen 2 and I have realized that um, Show Yourself is like one of the best songs of all time and it's literally been on loop in my head for for days like at least for three or four days now Um, and I find that song incredibly like trippy once you start like thinking about it in more abstract terms as opposed to just linear Um, and I tweeted about it and I it would be one of those where I just put it out there and nobody says anything but then it started like this conversation about like identity and feeling supported and like finding yourself and it was really beautiful so if you haven't listened to it in a while I, I highly recommend going back and taking a listen because it definitely it gets feels, it's a good
0: one I also you know? like uh Olaf's when I'm older but yes, I, I swear to God, they had a very good therapist. Oh my gosh. No, there are script. so many things. I, I love like <laughs> Olaf has a line in there of like, we're controlling what we can in a world that's seemingly more and more out of our control. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And then um, there's also a very awesome parody that the Holderness family did of Where's My Phone to Into the Unknown.
1: Cute.
3: So I highly recommend that. <laughs> Into the Unknown is... It's good. It's good. But oh, that there's all that. It's so good. Yeah. Oh.
0: My brain's just been noodling on scheduling. I've been consulting a lot. Um, I've today after this, before this podcast, I was consulting with someone in England after this podcast. And i after I pick up a ch- my child from school, I'll be consulting with someone in South Africa. A few weeks ago, I consulted with someone from Australia yeah. I consulted last week with someone from Canada. <laughs> so, like, I'm wow. doing ai This is one of those things of where life takes you. You don't expect. um I'm a side. I am not a researchy person. I love research. I love science. I love all that. But like, I just couldn't see myself being in a lab and doing lots of studies. But now, like, I'm consulting on all these research studies, and it's amazing. Um, and it's so much fun. And I don't know. In in many ways, it's sort of a dream come true because I was one of the kind of similar to you. Like I would read studies and be like, if someone could just have told this person, they're not going down the right path. They had such, this had such potential and they just went in a weird way. And uh." so it's, it's cool. It's so
3: cool. That's so exciting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of all of you. I'm just going to say that. I love all of you and I'm so proud
1: of you and oh, you're amazing we're
0: the best crushing it <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you guys and thank you everybody for listening um we want to start hearing from you the audience like if you could send us audio clips of what your brain is doodling on we're going to try to start featuring those on the podcast as well so let send us your 30 second noodles and let us know what you're doing but i have to hard stop us now so thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon
2: Bye. 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 bye, bye. bye. Trade Noodles is a production of Geeks Like Us. Your hosts for this podcast are Doctors Megan Connell, Kelly Dunlap, Rachel Cowart, and Sarah Sawyer. Music for this podcast is The Life of Riley by Kevin McLeod. Audio edited, mixed, and mashed by Amelia Herbst. Follow Geeks Like Us on Twitter at G33KS, like us, that's at G33KS, L-I-K-E-U-S.
0: Until next time, keep noodling.